Hey everybody, and welcome back to the show. This is July 7th. Actually came out on a Thursday. Woohoo! We're back to the old schedule. Uh, got tons of stuff. Been super busy. Can't wait to share all of it, especially my Independence Day weekend. Uh, you know, went up to Maine. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about 3D printing, of course. We're going to talk about the mission from Juno, uh, the mission Juno going to Jupiter to do some crazy science shit. And then we go to the crazy, crazy shit that was the uh, Expedition 4849 launch, uh, which was just a launch hangout. We did one of those again, and uh, which is pretty much just me sitting down, watching the launch live and uh, sharing what I know about space. That's pretty much it. Uh, eventually, there will be couches and other people will be involved. But for now, it's just me. So we've got that, and yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be good. But to start, <laughs> to start, this podcast is brought to you by AG three D printing. What is AG three D printing? You ask. Great question. It is a three D printing service to help get your ideas three D printed into reality. You know, most of us don't have the time to figure out how to work a 3D printer because, honestly, the technology is not there yet. It's not like an iPhone we can just pull it out and everyone can use a smartphone. 3D printers aren't there yet. So it takes people who know them or people who t- have the time and um, the determination to figure out how to use a 3D printer. But most of us don't have that time. Luckily, I use one. I've used two at this point. And I'm offering my services up to you if you're a college student with a school project or, or a high school student with a school project that you want to really kick ass with and uh, bring something f- real, uh, your idea, bring it physical so people can hold it and touch it and see it and understand what you're trying to do. I can help you do that. If you have a business idea that you're trying to bring to somebody and you don't have the money to go get a bunch of mold made, get a mold made to then print out a whole bunch of parts, you don't have the money to do that. But you can hire me and I can help you do it. If you just have an idea that you want to get out and print or, or something you found online that you'd like to get printed, I can help you with that. Even if it's just a really cool gift you want to give somebody, we can do that here. I'm your own personal engineer with 3D printers. We can make it happen. So if you are interested, go to the website at www.ag3d-printing.com. The link will be in this week's episode and every episode. And, uh, you know, check out what we're about. Uh, there's an Instagram page. I post every time I'm doing something 3D printing. i uh, got videos, pictures. Uh, as always on this podcast, you're going to learn about 3D printing. And, you know, you will be able to actually ask for a quote to see how much, you know, a part is going to cost you to make. So... You can do all that there, and I can help you bring your ideas to reality. That's what I'm offering you guys, and that's who the broad, the podcast is brought to you by. First official sponsor, super excited it's myself. Let's get into the episode.
today in space. All right, so let's talk about Maine because I gotta say I've been up there a few times in the last few years. You know, actually had people from Maine who live there can uh, enjoy their company and and stay at a place that's Maine and understand Mainers because they're definitely a different breed of people. I mean, it's it, they're definitely different from people from Massachusetts and they're definitely different from people from uh the Caribbean. Like, you know, they're just a different type of people. And one of the one of the interesting things uh <laughs> that's what I noticed about people from Maine is uh they're very upfront. You know, they'll they'll talk to you, they'll say hi to you, they'll wave at you. They'll notice your existence. And the <laughs> other side of Maine people is that you know, they will tell you what they think, you know, and they're, and they're just people who are living their lives, it seems. And, you know, it's great. Like I was, I talked to someone who goes to one of the universities in Maine and just the integration of things, of, of human things like, um, outdoor activities and, and, and things that are outdoor, um, Farm culture is a big thing, or right? and that's I'm of course a uh, city boy, so I, I, I forgive me if I'm <laughs> you know kind of kind of out of the loop here. But you know things like uh, going to school for to be an equestrian or, or for, for horse studies, you know for for equestrian studies, um, that's that is a thing, and it's it's a very proud thing. Uh, that people from Maine do, and it's, uh, you know, I met someone who's in the program there, who's, who's grown, you know, lived her whole life around horses, and then she's, she's able to do this, and it's for everything from, you know, uh, behavioral stuff, you know, how, how to train a horse, and, and different things like something I didn't know, if you don't ride a horse for a while, uh, you know, you've got to break the horse back in, because it's a behavioral thing, it's not, you know, they're not genetically disposed to that behavior, they need to be uh, trained. So I thought that was very interesting. And, and just talking to somebody else who's as passionate about something as I am about fucking space. So that's always enjoyable. Uh, so there just seem to be a lot of those people out there and just be, to be able to have a good conversation with those people is amazing. You know, I mean, I'm sure not all Maine people are like that. And, you know, there's a few big people from Maine that, you know, sometimes you just want to say, you know, all right, Hey, I got to go. Uh, it was nice talking to you, but holy crap, if I thought I could talk my, someone's ear off, please shut up. But I guess that would be the main thing to do would be to actually tell the person that and not just kind of be fake and, you know, kind of be like, oh, yeah, you know, oh, no, that's okay, blah, 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 you know, and then talk shit about their back. I think that's like a not very main thing to do if, if I got what being a Mainer is all about, you know. Uh, but either way, uh, Maine was amazing. Uh, can't think of any better place to have a vacation away from things and, uh, and to be able to relax. I guess it's called vacation land for a reason. Uh, but just the, the air, just the, the, the clean air and just feeling refreshed, honestly. Uh, the weather was incredible. There was plenty of wind to keep the bugs away for the most part. So... It was incredible. An amazing weekend. I, of course, thought I was going to get some sun, get a rock a tan, because my Greek DNA is screaming for some sun. Um, I got a little bit, 
but uh, I, I, for some reason, thought getting sun in Maine is a thing. Uh, I was wrong. <laughs> but anyways, Maine was uh, amazing, and I, I love every time I go up there. And more importantly, I was able to relax. It's been it's been a crazy two months of just back and forth between being busy at work and then being busy with my own exploits, my own adventure of starting a business, the 3D printing business, keeping the podcast going, and trying to do the things that I want to do and and managing that. Uh, One of the things that I'm working on right now is having realistic expectations because the whole reason I feel like I didn't get enough done or I feel like uh, I'm not uh, I'm not where I think I should be or I feel like I'm, I'm using that as a reason. What I'm trying to say is it the reason I feel this way and I'm stressing myself out about my expectations is because I made them. I made those expectations. So figuring out little tricks to help me make my expectations more achievable is kind of where I'm working on right now. Not achieving that, you know, greatness or anything, uh, but it's working. So uh, I like I like where it's going. And, you know, a few things I'm doing, time management. I know it's a corny thing to say, but being realistic about how long things are going to take and actually planning out the finite amount of hours I have in a day and making the most use of it has been really good. And I'm going to keep riding that momentum. So all good things, all those things would have made doing all this possible, you know, starting my own business uh, on top of and using it with my other business, you know, just going for it takes a certain amount of expectations that are both real and achievable. So if you're trying to get something done out there, give yourself a break and look at how much time things take you and then make a, a, a guess on how long it's going to take you, and then work from there. You'll only get better. Now, let's get into some space science, bitches. Okay, so, 4th of July, you may have heard about it. The Juno spacecraft made its way into orbit around Jupiter. So, the Juno spacecraft is going there to map Jupiter's gravity magnetic field, and water. And it hopes to find out how Jupiter was formed, you know, and then that will tell us, hopefully, more on how our solar system was formed. And then really tell us about the early origins because Jupiter is supposed to be the first planet formed after the sun. So if we figure out how Jupiter was formed, then we can really figure out kind of how this whole thing started, how this solar system that we live in that is, you know, for for our own sake, stable enough for us to have started life on the planet Earth. You know, so finding out how it formed is pretty valuable for many reasons. One reason I can give you right now, because it'll give us clues on what to look for in other solar systems across the universe or galaxy, and will help us choose where we need to go if and when the sun finally kinks out. I mean, we've got a few billion years, but starting early is probably a good thing. You don't really want to want to just 
overnight cram for finding a new place to send humanity. You know, that's something you really want to retroactively, retroactively work on, maybe. So, so, so anyway, so, so the whole Juno spacecraft, the entire size of it, as if it's fully deployed as it is right now in orbit around Jupiter, fits just inside an NBA basketball court. So that's pretty fucking big. It's a pretty big spacecraft. It runs on solar energy, uh, which at the point it is with Jupiter, the sunlight is actually 25 times less intense than it is at Earth, which, of course, makes it a lot harder to charge up your solar panels, makes it even harder just to get solar energy transferred into something you could put into a battery. Uh, but it's not just solar power it runs on. It also runs on a rocket fuel as well. Uh, and those tanks, I believe there's four of them, are stored inside the body of Juno. Now, uh, when we talk more about Juno, the spacecraft, uh, there's a whole bunch of things. But really, the biggest thing Juno needs to do is survive the intense, insane radiation that's around Jupiter. And it's one of the reasons we don't send spacecraft there. I believe Juno is only the second spacecraft to orbit Jupiter. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that the radiation is so strong that most of the instruments that we would send to even measure stuff around Jupiter won't survive. Which is why Juno is equipped with, uh, as, as they're calling it, the vault, which is a titanium box which houses all of the instruments that Juno has on board. And um, titanium as a metal is really a super, super impressive uh, element and metal because titanium itself, it, you know, it's it's non-magnetic, uh, it's not going to rust on you, and it's super strong, super strong. You know, you compare it to something that has similar properties like aluminum, uh, aluminum can't hold up in the strength field. Um, you know, titanium really does bring you a great combination of strength, uh, valuable properties, and I, I would say even density because, you know, to get something as strong as titanium, you're probably going to go for like a, a wrought iron steel, uh, like iron, or you're going to go for something like lead. So both of those are extremely dense and extremely heavy. So titanium kind of gives you the both both uh, of the best worlds there. But the other thing that's on board Juno, uh, other than the amazing science equipment that's on there already, there are three aluminum Lego figures on board. That's right. Lego figures made of aluminum. And why would you do that? Number one, so they survive. And two, so that they're there. I mean, the, the radiation and magnetic fields and stuff like that would, would seriously... Um, harm both the spacecraft and the lego figures because you know if if those things were a metal that would be heavily affected by magnetism then and the radiation i'm guessing they would move around it would make it dangerous inside of the juno spacecraft all guesses but um you know that's why they put aluminum ones on there also because the plastic ones wouldn't last but so what are these Lego figures? Uh, one of them is the Roman god Jupiter, of course. Uh, the other is the Roman goddess Juno. 
case you can figure out why. And the last one is Galileo, the astronomer, um, because he had a hand in, I believe, discovering Jupiter or at the very least understanding what Jupiter really is. So, yeah, it was a pretty terrible myth, uh, history lesson there. I am not a history teacher. <laughs> but uh, that brings me to a really funny uh, thing that uh, Rachel shared with me. Shout out to Rachel. Uh, Uncle Ray Ray uh, shared with me online, which is pretty fucking good. I didn't notice this, of course, because my mythology is based in Greek mythology. So whenever you throw the Roman names, which are the planet names... Uh, it gets kind of confusing for me. But if we switch to the Greek mythology, I think we can make it a little bit easier. For myself, anyways. Plus, I mean, let's be honest, one of them came first, and it wasn't the Romans. So, I think we're going to go with that one. So, Jupiter is equivalent of Zeus, which of course would be the largest planet we have in our solar system. Naturally, given that it's 300 times more massive than Earth, uh, which Juno will be flying 3,000 miles above the clouds of Jupiter, which is just fucking insane. We're going to get some crazy pictures of the storm and all the craziness that's happening on the surface. I mean, we can see the big red dot. Well, we're all aware of the big red dot on Jupiter, right? That is a giant storm that I believe we can fit quite a few Earths inside. I don't have the number. But we can quit fit, if I remember the number, I think it's three Earths inside of it. But that's a storm on the surface. You know, we're getting 3,000 miles close to it, so we can figure out, okay, what's underneath that storm? Is, is, is there a solid layer? How big is that layer underneath? All those things we're going to figure out with Juno. But anyways, going back to it. Zeus, if you're not aware, and just as a reminder, pretty much just went around and fucked and had sex with anyone he wanted, you know, and traditionally, the moons of Jupiter are named after his, uh, you know, mistresses and people he slept with and stuff like that. So, it begs to question why NASA named the spacecraft going there Juno. And I'd like to do a, uh, a piece here based on what uh, Ray had shared with me online, entitled Fucking NASA by Overly Obsessed Fan Queen. <coughs> I'm fucking pissing myself. You know how all of Jupiter's moons are named after his lovers and affairs? Yeah. Yeah. NASA is sending a craft to check up on Jupiter. You know what that craft is called? Juno. Who's Juno? Jupiter's wife. NASA is sending Jupiter's wife to check on Jupiter and his affairs and lovers. Fucking NASA. Which, of course, uh, thank you, by the way, thank you. Thank you. Uh, but this is, this is really just fucking really funny. I mean, it really is. That's a great take on <laughs> the mythology because, I mean, we've talked about it before on the Greek mythology look-up segments, which we'll get back to. But, I mean, Zeus was doing this shit all the time, was going around 
having sex with whoever. I mean, the reason Ursa Major and Ursa Minor, you know, the, the you know, uh, th- that was an affair he was having. And then when Hera, his wife, was coming to check on him, he changed her into a bear. And then her son, her son, the mistress, the woman who Zeus was, was having an affair with, her, his, her son came across his mother as a bear and killed her, thinking she was a bear. And then Zeus heard the cries after he was like, all right, honey, I'll, I'll be right there. Came back, turned, saved her and her son, but in the meantime, put them into the skies to be eternally set in the night sky. Now, granted, Jupiter is is a planet. It's not a real person. But, uh, you know, I, I don't expect to see any uh, transfiguration going on when Juno's there. But Juno, Juno is going to be a very, very interesting mission, honestly. I... I can't wait to see the crazy pictures we're going to see. And, and, and even more than that, I think kudos has to go to the members of the Juno mission and NASA as a whole for another successful planetary mission between New Horizons and Juno. Never mind Cassini, who, who's been at Saturn. Um, but they've done a fantastic job of getting these spacecraft to where they need to go you know they had an entire contingency plan for you know if if when juno got to jupiter things didn't work out how they were going to save the spacecraft and stuff like that and it happened perfectly flawlessly and they didn't have to use it which is a great feeling in any space endeavor that you're doing you know that the original plan plan a works so that plan b through z don't have to be used. That is an amazing, amazing accomplishment by everyone involved. And and the crazy thing about Juno is once Juno has completed its mission, it's actually going to go, and it is it has run out of fuel, it's going to go on a crash course into Jupiter so we can figure out like what's going on down there past the storms and that vault, that titanium vault that holds all the precious instruments is going to be able to take data and then send it back to us on its way down. So we've got an incredible mission ahead of us. It's an incredible start on Independence Day 2016. An incredible, incredible start to a mission. Can't wait to see what happens. And now let's switch over to a little bit of 3D printing because why not? Okay, so on this week's 3D printing update, uh, I'd like to talk about the, uh, the first job we've got going on here at AG3D Printing. And it involves a piece of patio furniture. Um, you know, I don't know if uh, you have a patio or furniture to go along with it, but there are these plastic pieces that pretty much attached to the tops of the legs where the glass would go. And uh, this is a part of somebody who's, uh, the patio furniture's, uh, you know, old enough. 
Uh, it's been around. It's, it's done its job. And the plastic parts are starting to wear down and break. So we need a replacement. And obviously, you're not going to get one from the manufacturer because they're probably not around. And if you did, uh, you know, it would be such a hassle to try and get it from the company, even if you can get in touch with them. So really, it's a perfect, this is a perfect application of what 3D printing can do in everyday life, which is replace out-of-date parts, replace things that have broken that you can't just get anywhere else. You know, and, and any other average person's, person's means uh, the majority of people's means, they're not going to be able to just replicate uh, a plastic part. You know, if you do it by traditional means, you would need to make another mold and then, you know, form that plastic. Or you would need to know how to operate a, a, a mill, you know, a milling machine and take a chunk of plastic and mill out your own piece. I mean, really, those are the two options you have available to you as a uh, regular consumer to fix these parts, so otherwise, you've got to get real, real um, in, in. You got to have some ingenuity going on. It's a little bit of uh, innovations going on to figure out how to how to rig that thing together to work the same, you know. But it won't. It's not the same. So having uh, the ability to make a replacement part is really where we wanted to go. So the first part. Uh, I printed with a test piece to make sure that number one, the model which the customer did design themselves uh, with uh, Tinkercad, uh, which is a free program out there, um, took a pair of calipers, measured all the parts, and made it himself. So then the model got sent to me. We did a test print to see how the plastic shrinkage and just how how the model went from digital to reality because plastic does shrink. Um, you know, if if you've got any knowledge with any kind of plastic, if, you, if you've fucked around with plastic enough, you know that that plastics shrink when they're cooling down. So we need to make sure that all the dimensions are right. Uh, seem to be fine. Plenty of clearance, not too tight. You know, um, but one of the issues was you know build orientation. You know how the layers were built up. You know, um, we built it with ABS plastic, which is a very rigid plastic again, like Legos, and uh, seemed to do the job, but the issue is, is the original part actually had a little bit of bend to it, a little bit of give. It wasn't like a rubber, you know, like a bendy thing, but it needs to bend a little bit so that it can snap into place. So right now the ABS is too rigid, which is a reason we did the test part, was to show, okay, what do we need to do here? So after that, I went out and researched kind of what's out there for flexible filament you know is there flexible filament and it turns out there is and there's a crazy variety of stuff out there you know from elastic band stretchy to you know uh just bendy enough and everything in between you know just it's still rigid but you can get it has some give to it so kind of goes from the semi-flexible to you know i can pull a six inch piece to the full length of my arms, you know that's that's a, that's a lot of elasticity. So you got to pick the right material for the right job is really what it comes down to. Um, so that filament just came in this week, and next week I'll be able to give an update, and we'll see number one how that material printed, and number two how it works for um, our customer. So. Well, we'll get back to you on that later next week, maybe the week after. It all depends on when we can fit it in. But uh, look forward to that on a future 
3D printing update brought to you by AG 3D Printing. Oh, see what I did there? Oh, shit. Legit, son. Okay. So, uh, I'd also like to get into a little bit of news here about it. And it's actually a NASA-funded um, challenge. The Future Engineers... Star Trek Replicator Challenge. And there were a bunch of students who actually won for their designs. And the Star Trek and NASA Challenge um, wanted students to engineer the future of food in space. And after months of designing and modeling, the winners of the Future Engineers 3D Printing Star Trek Replicator Challenge were selected by a panel of judges from NASA, the American Society of Mechanical Engineers, ASME, Foundation, and Made in Space Incorporated. Now, just in case you don't know, um, ASME, if you're in any field that manufactures anything or deals with things that are manufactured, you've heard of the American Society of Mechanical Engineers. Um, They're a very um, involved group, and they're in everything, and they and they have standards that you know mechanical engineers follow, and they are a standard for manufacturing for sure in America, and just how things work. So then you've also got Made in Space, which is the first three D printing company in space, and they're at the forefront of it because they are the first ones to three D print or have a three D printer manufacture in space, and they've got very lofty goals that spread out to many things, uh, even. Um, I believe it was actually making a manufacturing center in space to actually, I guess, 3D print an orbit, which makes the whole manufacturing in space thing a little bit more real. And if I'm misquoting myself, it's still a really great idea. (laughs) But uh, one of the kids who was, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Featured in this article from NASA, uh, is the winner from the teen group, ages 13 to 19, Kyle Corret, uh, from Desert Vista High School in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, and he designed a melanized fungarium, which I am not 100% sure what that is. It doesn't really go into it, but I would assume, since it has fungarium, is it fungus? I'm guessing it's some kind of mushroom? design or it grows mushrooms i don't know but either way um there was also another winner from the junior group uh ages 5 to 12 uh was shriash sola from eagle ridge middle high school uh, middle school in ashburn virginia who designed an astro mini farm and these are great opportunities for young kids who are nerdy enough and i mean nerdy in a in a great way which is passionate and uncontrollably excited about the things that they do. I mean, you know, I'm pretty fucking nerdy. I have a talk show where I, I ramble about space, uh, I mean, and have a 3D printer. I'm pretty nerdy, but I, I definitely found it later in life. I kind of tinkered my whole life, but I definitely tinkered my whole life. But, um, I never knew of opportunities like this out there. You know, it was before the internet really came to prominence and word got out there. And honestly, in in my hometown, it was uh, the arts or sports 
those were the two things that were pretty major. I mean, we had wood class and we had, um, there was another class we had, I think it was metal shop. Yeah. Wooden metal shop. Uh, and those were great. I love those classes, but you know, back then it, you, you, getting into that field wasn't really something you thought was a good thing to get into to be honest, you know, and, and having, my point is having these challenges out there and having these kids who are are going for it, uh, is amazing. I mean, having that experience at a young age is such a great thing. Going through that challenge of trying to design something and modeling it. Those are crucial, crucial things. If you're going to get into designing and modeling and just a scientific field with, with, uh, a physical base, you know, things that you're going to manufacture or deal with manufactured parts, that, that kind of experience is incredible. And getting yourself in front of these judges from NASA, ASME, and Made in Space, these judges are not just judges. These judges are people who work for those companies, who work for these organizations, who are then a future contact in the future. I mean, talk about resume building. I mean, saying you want a NASA challenge for anything is a a huge thing if you're shooting for uh, bigger and better things for yourself, you know? And having a challenge that is trying to provide 3D printing solutions to, as they say, help astronauts live long and prosper, prosper, and and help astronauts eat nutrient, nutrients, yeah, nutritious meals. I, I can I can speak English um, in the year 2050 because that's really where we're aiming for for long term human uh, expanse in space and having ways to eat are an incredible incredible challenge to address now. And why not have the young minds of America work on these things? You know, 405 submissions were presented for this challenge. 405 designs by what I would assume is 405 young engineers, future engineers, future scientists. And those were from 30 states. So I just wanted to bring it to everyone's attention. It's a very, very cool, um, just project that I, I, I wish I had when I was younger, but I'm very proud to bring up now. And uh, just very cool. Real quick, uh, I actually did find out what these things were. Uh, the, the designs, the melanized fungus uses radioactivity as an energy source. Craziness. And since the ionizing radiation is prevalent in space, these fungi could serve as a renewable food source. So that's crazy. So basically using what you already have to create a renewable food source, which is just craziness. Um, and the Astro Mini Farm is designed to grow fresh food on Mars and basically to address the problem of the sunlight being less on Mars than it is on Earth, the Martian Mini Farm has a magnifying glass to collect sunlight and direct it to the plants. Actually looks like uh, the magnifying glass is on top of the dome and looks like it would 
focus the light right back in, which is a great, it's got no electronic parts and makes it ideal to be 3D printed using soft glass or transparent material extracted from the Martian soil. And there are tons of other, uh, four in each group, four other contestants that were finalists. Uh, I'm sorry, four in, four finalists in each group and one winner. So congratulations to all those kids. It's a great opportunity. I'm very proud that you were, you were you had the balls enough to go out there and actually put a design forward, take that step, uh, go through the scientific process. Congratulations. And, and way to go, NASA, for doing such a cool, cool challenge. And that about does it for this week's 3D printing update brought to you by AG3D Printing. <laughs> so... To close out the episode, let's put on the launch hangout, which I recorded live when I was watching the Expedition 48 launch with Kate Rubens on board. Um, One of the things I don't think I mentioned at the end of this, um, Kate Rubens and the entire crew on board, uh, including the Russian cosmonaut and the Japanese taikonaut, um, or astronaut, I'm not sure which one it is, JAXA, the Japanese Aerospace Exploration Association, I believe it is. Um, I don't want to say their names because I don't want to bu- butcher them. So, uh, but they're very much part of the mission. <laughs> uh, and very much people. But um, they, after this launch, they spent basically two days cramped into a Soyuz. Okay? Two days cramped into a Soyuz. Uh, on their way up to the ISS. And uh, they're still up there, and they'll be there Friday night when they finally get there. But in the meantime, uh, here is the live coverage by me, moi, yours truly, of the Expedition 48 launch. Uh, And uh, can't wait to do more of these. You know, when the opportunity comes up, I want to definitely invite a few people over. And it's just what it is. It's a launch hangout. That's it. We're hanging out watching a launch. I've got plenty of space information rattling around my head that I would love to share. And it's a great opportunity for it, you know, and we get to experience human beings launching into space. And, you know, with Kate Rubens, it's definitely an exciting mission because she's a scientist who became an astronaut, which is about as fucking science as you can get, you know? So, uh, Definitely, definitely look into this mission. I'm really excited to see what she's going to do, and you'll hear more about what she's going to do in the launch hangout. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. It's been a fun-ass week, and I hope you have a great week, and we'll be back next week on Thursday night for another episode of Today in Space. Spread love, spread science. Peace out, everybody, and enjoy the launch hangout. All right, here we are sitting live for uh, the Expedition 48 launch. Astronaut, NASA astronaut Kate Rubens is on board, uh, along with uh, the Russian cosmonaut and uh, Japanese astronaut. I believe it's also an astronaut. Um, I I thought it was Taikonaut too, but either way, they're on board. Uh, I don't want to terribly say their names so I, I won't say their names this time but we're at two minutes to launch and uh it's been fun this broadcast has been really cool uh nasa has really put together a uh just a great program i mean this is you know a big mission to showcase 
Kate Rubens, this just badass chick who is a is a virus hunter. Uh, she like that's what she got into science was viruses. That's what interest her, interested her. Like for me, it was space. Like for her, it was you know and and and, and humans in outer space. And for her, it was viruses and and figuring out how to like she i think she even worked on ebola like she's going to sequence dna in orbit to see how it how sequencing dna if it has any effects if it what what changes in the absence of gravity you know i was also listening to another mission where she's uh they're growing heart cells and letting them grow and seeing what the lack of gravity will do you know it's just just crazy crazy science that they're going to be doing so it's going to be super awesome to follow Kate Rubens uh, but it, we're now probably 50 seconds 45 seconds from launch uh, the Soyuz is just a beautiful machine man oh here we go the top tower is coming back I think it's one of three holding them Still pretty new to uh, the launch game, learning all the rockets. We have the first in Townsend. Okay, first one, and the umbilicals disconnected. And the way the Soyuz launch is cool, too, because the, it it gets up to max thrust, I would assume, and then at least lift thrust, and then these arms just hold it in place. Here we go. So five, four, three, two, one and then the arms just separate after its maximum thrust. Yeah, okay, it is maximum thrust. And the Soyuz rockets, they look so fucking cool, man. You know, the cool thing is they've also got the uh, the crew capsule up top, which is built to make sure that the crew uh, has an option if anything were to go bad, you know. So that little cap you see up top is, I, I believe, a crew capsule. And it's going to, if you know, if they need to jettison it, the top lights up and, and blasts away so that it blasts the crew away from the rocket in the event that they need to dump the rocket, you know. Yes, yeah, so the rocket is, it's already, you can see it, it's bending, uh, into orbit because of, I believe it's gravity, um, but there's a whole bunch of other things. And really, it's the path you have to take to go into uh, infinite freefall. Even though no orbit will stay infinite, that's what you're doing. Is you're you're going so fast off the planet's surface, where the speed you're going keeps you in perpetual falling motion from the surface of the planet, and keeps you just floating in freefall costly around the planet like that is so crazy so crazy but what's even crazier is that people believe that there's a flat earth i just don't fucking understand it i mean yes does the internet have some theories that really make you think oh damn this is crazy but how lazy is the flat earth theory seriously you picked up something that <laughs> like humans had literally uh, like a a moment where their their heads just kind of 
cracked and everyone was like, no way, the the flat isn't, the, the world isn't flat, oh my god, you know, like, the, oh my god, you don't go off the edge? Like, that is an old, lame-ass thing we used to do as humans. And now you're bringing it back because you can't find any pictures of aliens, even though everyone has a cell phone? Come on. Get your shit together, okay? So this shit... Plus, why, why, why would, like... First of all, the, before I go on farther rant, the rocket is uh, looking very good. The, uh, the Roscosmos has got a... Okay, so the fairing separated from the Soyuz. Uh, yeah, the animation they have is pretty cool. Shows some pretty interesting data. Um, I think everyone's stepping up their game after SpaceX has been fucking kicking everyone's ass. Uh, but anyways... Uh, <laughs> All right, so it's 48 miles high right now. Everyone still looks good and on board. Yo, what's up, K. Rubens? Oh, my God, she just waved at me. <laughs> um, yeah, anyways, flat earth shit, right? Seriously. Why, why would all these people... Be in complete synchronicity and like why would people be spending all this fucking money and and actually would we actually keep up putting people into space to keep up the fact that we you know or you know that we didn't go to the moon like that's that's the moon people flat earth people it's like that's just you sitting in a closed box you know and not thinking else it's thinking that anything else is that's the reason we need to go into space is because the longer we stay there the more introverted we become and not take into account the fact of our reality that our fucking planet is going around is moving at crazy speeds towards some place in the universe we don't even know what it is but that's where everything seems to be moving and our entire planetary system is moving and our entire gal- uh, galaxy is moving that way, you know? All this stuff is happening, and you think that the Earth, that your dimension is is just this flat Earth. Please. Anyways, the rocket launch is going fantastic, okay? Um, the animation shows the rocket at like a 30-degree angle off the surface. So... The third stage of the Soyuz is igniting. Um, pretty cool. So three, I would I would guess fairings and uh, or at least panels, and the third stage just jettisoned. Oh no, I'm sorry. The second stage did. The third stage is just lit. And so now it's just the third stage attached to the Soyuz capsule where the Expedition Forty Eight crew is. You know, it's wild, like these stages, you know, these upper stages, the second and the third stages, they need to work in the vacuum of space. So that's a different version of the thruster, the rocket that's on there. You know, one would assume, right? So, yeah, now the animation makes it look like it's pretty much level with the surface below it. But, in reality, 
they're probably increasing their orbit, which means they'll they'll constantly be going a little bit faster. Um, I don't know if it's actually fuel efficient to like angle yourself up as if you were like trying to fly like a plane, like angle yourself up and then boost. Because the problem with space flight is if you're not already if you if you're not already in that position, you have to use fuel to get yourself to tilt up and then you're using fuel to get yourself into orbit. So, you know, the Soyuz itself has fuel to get it to, to orbit, but you know, you can't just be wasting it aiming yourself around. So I don't know how those moves look. I've just done enough uh research into it to know that you know fuel i mean i got my degree in it i mean i think i've learned the theory behind it i don't know what they actually do but the theory is always fuel is your biggest biggest factor so you're planning for every move that you make with some extra but the more you bring on the less you can bring with you the more expensive it becomes to launch I'm not sure how accurate this uh, animation is, but uh, it's still going. Still looks fine. Yeah, very interesting broadcast. Uh, you know, it's good to see that we're still working on it. You know, sometimes you just you're just like, man, like. Okay, everything's going well on board, but. No, it's great. It's great to see that we're we're making a big deal about this. I think that's that's what I'm excited about. We're making a big deal about these things. You know? It's about time. We got to we got to believe in what we do and and show that. You know? This is the this is the internet world. Things need to be spread. So, you know, put something interesting up there. That's what it's all about. And and actual people going into space. I mean, you don't need a lot. All you do all you got to do is capture what you're doing that's all you got to do i mean granted you know you got to use an animation when at this point when uh, you know a rocket's orbiting because we don't have cameras up there uh, at different stages in the orbit or you know there's no drone that can follow a rocket into orbit you know what i mean (laughs) so it's getting there it's getting there and we had a bunch of people trying it and working on it Thank goodness. You know? Oh, and, and the other thing that was uh, really cool, they just had third stage separation. You just saw the astronauts, uh, like, jerk forward. Well, the astronauts and the cosmonaut, I should say. They're all shaking hands. Awesome. Awesome. That's awesome. Okay. So, from what I can tell, I haven't seen the animation, and I'm only picking up what I hear when I'm not talking. Saw someone pump their fist in the control room. That's good. Dude, he's bobbing his head. Yeah. Yeah, we did it. (laughs) He's excited. (laughs) I gotta say, man, the control room is one of the most interesting places. Like, the control room, especially the control room in Apollo 13. I think, like, Gene Krantz. Or, or the portrayal of Gene Krantz in Apollo 13. Like, I would love to work in the control room. That's, that's it. The, if you're in the control room, 
I mean, you're you're a you are an active member of the mission. You know, and I could I could see my my skills being able to help with that. So we'll have to see. You never know. That'd be fucking sweet. It'd be cool if they just put if they just put me right there, like in the control booth, and I was just doing a, a live podcast from the control mission center, like the mission control center. Oh my god, that'd be fucking incredible. We would just be doing this, and it would just be me talking. You'd, you'd have another feed of what's going on, you know. Don't mic the room for the broadcast, you know. Just you you can keep you can keep it off the broadcast so people don't hear me cussing and swearing <laughs> which hold on i got to give a shout out because because of this launch i just made a new friend on the internet and i got to give him a shout out okay rachel williams i hope that's how you pronounce your name she is uh if she's a real person uh an astronomy major uh a dog mom okay uh believes pluto is planet 9 which I would I would like to discuss with her. Uh, I'm not saying I disagree, but I would I would actually like to have a debate about it. Um, and she has her own website, uh, and she's the host of the Anarchist Guide to the Universe. Oh my God, are you are we podcasters? And we just met. We're like best friends now. Sweet. So, anyways, uh, shout out to Rachel Williams, fellow science swearer. Okay, so back to the launch. Let's see. So we're at almost four minutes. Well, we're at four minutes, 48 seconds. Nope. No, that's not the time. That's probably the clock. <laughs> okay. I'm going to listen in here and figure out what's going on so I can stop saying silly things. I think they're giving location directions. They're asking if they've activated something. I think they're waiting for a response. Well, it's definitely still on. It hasn't frozen. The little NASA symbol is still spinning. Oh, I think they got communication. She said, go ahead. Okay, so they got they got some stuff up, but it seems like they're having a communication issue. So, but from what I can tell, they're responding, so that's good. Okay, so they're yeah they're trying to figure out their orientation in space. Um, so, and I think they're doing it by communication. I'm not sure if it's because they can't communicate because it has to aim towards the satellite. That that could be something. Uh, I mean, I'm not 100% sure. I'm just guessing, but 
reorienting themselves to the satellite so that they can't communicate other than this audio channel would make sense. Okay, so apparently uh, the orbit insertion has gone really well. Okay, so cool. So they will be in orbit for uh, the next few days, and on Friday night, they're going to make it to the International Space Station. So really cool, guys. This is awesome. Um, <laughs> congratulations. Uh, the mission's not over yet, but a major hurdle has been uh, jumped over, launched over, and congratulations, Kate Rubens. I can't wait to see you do crazy science virus hunting in space and sequencing DNA, being the first person. That's amazing. Congratulations, Kate Hudson. Uh, I guess she said she made a list when she was a kid of what she wanted to do. I hope I'm quoting this correctly. Um, one of them was a biologist, one of them was an astronaut, and one of them was a geologist. And she's done two of the three. So she's officially an astronaut and can't wait to see what she's going to do. So congratulations and... We'll keep you updated on Expedition 48 and all the crazy fucking science that's going to be going on. And uh, shout out to, once again, um, to Rachel Williams. And uh, as always, I have to shout out to Kyle Meacham, who posts online on Twitter. Shout out, man. Good talking to you. And uh, have a great week, everybody.